Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at Nintex.com. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Hello, everybody. This is Audio Signals, which uh, I would say is the official first episode of a new version of Audio Signals, where Sean and I, and by the way, I'm more I than Sean and I today, because it's just me with a, a really good friend as a guest who's been on the show before on ITSB Magazine. But what makes this episode special, at least for me, is that Audio Signals is becoming independent from ITSP Magazine, which doesn't mean that we don't talk about technology and cybersecurity and society anymore, even, even more maybe we will do that, but we'll just get more of a creative freedom of talking about the things that excite our curiosity. And today I'm excited because I don't think there is anything that inspire me and my curiosity more than the world of NFTs and artificial intelligence and art. And today we're going to put everything pretty much together and with some more with uh, somebody I consider a friend because we already recorded an episode before. We had a good time. We said we should do it again. And, and we are. And it's Ben Kovalis. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here again. Yeah. And it wasn't even that long ago, but how many things happen in that not long ago? I, I have been seeing posts uh, on your personal account. I've seen uh, your, your gallery, which is all about artificial intelligence created art uh, with a lot of spins to come up with a lot of news and innovation and joining open seas and the community of digital artists and, uh, and collectionists. And so we, we have a lot to talk about today. Uh, so Ben, a little introduction about yourself, just so that people that haven't heard the first, uh, the first podcast know who you are, and then we can dive in into what, what you guys are up to. Great. So I'm Ben Kovalis, and I am a co-founder and the CMO of ArtAI, which uh, is, the, uh, is the company that owns ArtAI Gallery, which is what we spoke about in the previous podcast, Artifly, and most recently, Eponym, which is a new NFT project that obviously involves a lot of um, AI-generated art and users' input. My background is coming from uh, marketing and uh, business development. Um, I started my career more as a VP of sales and marketing in a company that is doing um, financial services. And about two years ago, started doing a lot of AI and art, speaking about it, communicating it, studying it, and been loving it ever since. Yeah, I remember that definitely love and passion was something that came through pretty 
pretty loud and clear on our first uh, podcast. And um, like I said, a lot of things have happened since. And one thing that I want to just recap for the people that didn't hear that is when you talk about artificial intelligence creating art, um, how that happened. I, I remember we talked about these two different um, artificial intelligence to an adversary dance where one is the critic, one is the artist, and by working together or maybe against each other, they arrive to develop some unique art and, uh, and that it's made for people that are born to collect it, of course. And there is that guarantee that when they buy it, they buy an individual piece. So tell me a little bit about that main concept and then we can move into what it's become. Yes, so I'll try, I'll try to give a quick recap about guns and how we use them to create art. And I will speak also about how much human intervention we need to make it happen even though basically a machine is doing all of the hard work, all of the heavy lifting. So GANS or, uh, stands for adversarial gen uh, um, Generative Adversarial Networks um, are kind of the family of algorithms that are responsible for um, creating um, deep fakes and you know, face recognitions. And recently it is widely used to create art. And what we did in the past two weeks is we trained a lot of different algorithms specifically um, to create art that is engaging to the people that are seeing them, not only based on training to algorithms uh, against each other, but also by collecting a lot of uh, data, data of interactions of humans that are looking at these pieces. And the way that guns work are basically, um, you have one AI that we will call it the um, AI artist, another AI we will call it the AI critic. It starts with the AI critic, which receives a ton of data from us. It could be anything. Uh, we focused mainly about um, paintings and, you know, drawings, things like that. And this AI critic learns a lot about art simply by observing it. It doesn't copy or paste anything, just learns about art similarly to how a human will learn about art by looking at it and identifying different patterns, characters, specific colors that are going better together and kind of you know, building a map of how it should look like. Then you have the AI artist. The AI artist doesn't know how art looks like at all, but it can generate things, can generate basically a matrix of number that can be translated into an, into an image, pixels with different colors. And the beginning, just doing that pretty much randomly. It has a neural network, uh, consists of a lot of weights that are going to basically decide how the end product is going to look like. Um, and every time we're giving this AI a random seed, this AI artist, we're giving it a random seed, and based on how the neural network looks like, it's going to generate a specific image. This AI then sends the image to the AI critic. Now, as I, as I said earlier, the AI critic knows how human art looks like. It saw a lot of human art before. It could be by the million of different, millions of different art samples. So this AI now have the ability to grade, to give a score, to the painting that it receives. And in each round, we're doing a lot of rounds in which they're kind of working together or working against each other. Each, each different AI has different roles. So the role of this critic is to give a proper score to the painting that it gets based on how much it looks like something that was created by a human. So when it creates human art, usually it will give it like 
close to the highest possible score. When it gets something that was made by an AI, gets something that it gets gives in the beginning a really low score because it's just a big scribble of pixels. What happens next is a very interesting process. It is called backpropagation. And in this process, the AI artist that really failed because it received a low grade from the critic, which is the worst thing that can happen to it. So it takes this grade and it takes this input, this the output they received from, from the AI critic, and it propagates this input to change the neural network. So the next time it will generate something, it will be a bit more similar to what the critic expects to see, more similar to human-made art. And this happens tens of thousands of times, but it not only happens with the AI artist that receives input and then fixes itself, it also happens with the AI critic. Because the AI critic, while the AI artist becomes better and better in every round, starts doing some mistakes, starts accidentally giving a high grade to the AI artist, even though it's not a human. It's not creating human art, it's creating AI art. It gets confused. And when that happens, the AI critic understands that he did a mistake and it also changes based on the output of the AI artist. It changes the neural network so the next time it will be better in judging this AI artist. So um, we have a process, a very quick process, like if we're comparing it to how humans learn, but the other side takes a lot of processing power in which the AI artist becomes better in manipulating and kind of fooling the AI critic that it creates human art, and it does that by creating artworks that are more similar to human-created art. And an AI critic that becomes better and better in judging, in, in, in criticizing this AI artist until we get something that is very hard to determine whether it was created by humans or by an AI. And the last part, the last thing that I spoke about is how we use human interaction in order to make it happen. And um, that's something that we did uh, originally and what we spoke about quite a lot on uh, the previous podcast on uh, using hundreds of thousands of different sessions of humans in our website, letting uh, seeing what they like, uh, what type of artworks they like, what type of artworks they buy, what type of artworks they add to the card or just look at more and closing a loop with the AI. So the AI know which of its creations is more engaging and more likely for people basically to put their, their, their eyes on. And this is how we're combining both the, the gun side, technology side, and the human interaction side to create completely new art that is very, very engaging. And that's where the fun begins, right? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the feedback that, that you got from uh, the art community, it seems to me it's been pretty, pretty good. Uh, maybe even overwhelming, maybe more than what you expected. Uh, and, and it's curious because I feel like there is always going to be that side of the society that don't want to see this happen. They feel like art is that what make us human or one of the things that makes us human uh, being a big part of the creative process being at the core of it and how creativity is something that is just a human thing. And one of the reasons that it started me this com second conversation with you was a exactly how a philosopher was was stating that artificial intelligence cannot be an artist. And to wrap that in a nutshell is because art and creativity is just not innovation. It's not that you just sit on a, a kid, sit on a piano without knowing anything and just hitting random keys. 
that is going to create something great. There's always that connection with the particular moment that you are in time, where the society is, how you're projecting society, how you use technology. So that the vision of what make an artist an artist, not just somebody that splattered the wall with, you know, some paints, although <laughs> we know somebody did try to do that successfully too, but I'm not going to be uh, too funny about that. Uh, but but the fact that you have this connection with the humans, and you made it even more so because you are asking humans to give the input yes. to creating the art. And this is how we get into the next step of what, what you're doing. So tell me about this, this leap that is happening in empowering more the creative Glad, community. Gladly. And, and I'll add, and I will say that what you just touched basically the turning point that was the tipping point that was um that's that really changed everything and i will um speak maybe a bit about um a challenge a big challenge that we had uh, while we were basically selling let's call it conservative art art on canvas that was created by an ai um a lot of people thought it was cool and there were a lot of engaging conversation between people that thought that it, this is a very good thing a development um, against the people that thought that this is kind of at the beginning of the end or just, you know, a bad sign for creativity as like we let the machine do the work, even though it is not entirely true. Everything is based on human creativity and, and even, you know, closing the loop is closing the loop with what our customers think look best. Um, still, it seems like a big challenge was getting the AI part and getting it to, to really connect with art. We started a movement. A lot of people did recognize AI art as an, an improvement, but a lot of people did not. And we um, we thought that it is a good time to start thinking about a different audience, per perhaps, and a different product, something that will not have this obstacle in its way to reach more and more people. Because we were creating beautiful art, we were innovating in the field of art using AI, but um, we we're still having these challenges. And we were hearing about NFTs um, for so long and we were studying NFTs. Obviously, we had a machine that could create digital art. That's a big connection to the NFT world. And we decided that we want to really innovate. We want to get into this space using the technology that we have, but to bring something completely new. And what we did is we developed a service, a product that allows any user to type in text, uh, whatever text they like, a single word or you know, a whole section or you know, something out of a book. And based on this text, the AI generate a completely new design. And we decided to let people use this tool in order to create NFTs. Basically type in any text they like, then they can create a design. If they like the design, excellent. If they don't like the design, they can regenerate as many times as they want until they have something that they really love. And basically, the AI kind of understands everything. Um, it understands English. It understands Japanese. It, uh, it understands emojis because it's not like a regular you know, search filter. It just it basically looks into everything that it ever <laughs> saw and generates something new out of that. So we let people interact with the AI. So the art is still created by an AI, but the art that is finally minted, and minting is the process of taking something out of our specifically interface and putting it on the blockchain on an NFT. Um, and once something is minted, um, 
it means that this thing cannot be ever generated again. So if I use a specific word, like I generate the word, let's say generate the word God, and then this, uh, I, I see a design that I like, I mint it, uh, it now minted on the blockchain and no one else can ever use the word God to generate a new artwork. And the artwork that I minted is the artwork that I chose after refreshing, let's say five times. And that really excited people from the NFT space. So we, when we started, we knew Let, about- let's, let's open a little parenthesis because I, I want to assume that some of the people listening to us, they may have heard this NFT. Yeah. Because, you know, you have to, cryptocurrency and all of that. But two words to just explain what a non-fungible token is and how it's important is I mean, you kind of gave it away already by saying that at that point, it's kind of like there is a copyright on that. Like you can't copy that. There is a patent. Kind of an, an Ethereum blockchain copyright. Exactly. So if you have to explain this to my grandma, how do, would you explain that? Um, all right. That's, that's a good question. So explaining about um, NFTs, as you said, non-fungible tokens, um, it starts by maybe explaining about that there is a thing called cryptocurrency. Everyone probably heard about it. And it's a decentralized way, meaning you can trade and you can buy things and you can own currencies without the need of a bank. The way that it happens, it's just a kind of a new network, a different network that is comprised of, of people's machines, people's computers that is doing a lot of complicated uh, calculations and kind of keep a lot of information about which person have this amount of currency. But this blockchain thing that keeps all the cryptocurrency around and keeps all the information, this crypto, this, um, this blockchain network can also be used in order to trade other things other than cryptocurrency. It could be used, for example, um, to keep information about images and short videos and music segments and everything digital. So the same way you can securely keep and trade with cryptocurrency, you can securely keep and trade digital art, which is what we are producing. So NFTs uh, in the past few years, actually it, it's kind of started in 2017, maybe a bit before that, but very recently the technology and awareness of the crowd reached a point where it just exploded and everyone started hearing about it because now we have very um, easy and intuitive systems to trade this, um, to trade and, and to collect these um, NFT pieces. And what we did is instead of um, letting people trade with cryptocurrencies, things that people are doing for years, we let people trade with digital art that we've produced um, mm. on, uh, on the platform that you mentioned earlier called OpenSea and additional other platforms that were like the basically online auction platforms that most of us already know doing that just on cryptocurrency yeah you know I, i'm i'm very fascinated by that and i put myself on the side of the artist either a musician or a painter or any kind of artist that can convert his creativity her creativity into a digital form because that you put that signature on it and you know that you're not going to be stripped by your rights, your creative rights for that. So for me, that's huge. Being someone that has been dealing with creativity and design for a long time, I like you, I come from marketing and branding and, and advertising. And, and the fact that many people have been seen stripped their, their, their creation because they couldn't prove 
that they created that. So that alone is huge. And then the fact that it allows people to then trade this thing, because once you buy something, you take the property. There is no going back. As when you mint something, <laughs> there's no going back. It's there forever. So I can totally see this connection between the two um, and how it can democratize the art scene and the collection is seen. Now, I see some crazy numbers on, on that stuff. <laughs> I mean, I, I see stuff on OpenSeas that I'm like, really? Somebody just paid, I don't know, seven Ethereum or even <laughs> way more than that for that. But you know what? You remember what we said last time, the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So who am I to, who am I to decide if something is worth that or not, right? Let yeah. the community decide. The community decides and also the thing that drives people to pay these amounts or something, um, how to predict. Um, it is possible that someone will purchase um, an, an, an artwork for 10 ETH, 10 Ethereums, worth about almost $50,000 just for Twitter people and Twitter bots to see it and tweet about it. And that will be enough. So the whole set of considerations that many of these traders, some of them are very, very smart people that made a lot of money with cryptocurrencies are now really changing the rules of the games. Everything that we know about um, kind of um, the regular marketing, the, the dollar marketing doesn't really apply this decentralized space. It, it invents itself about twice a week and everyone has to adapt and come up with new things. Um, and it has a lot of room for, for innovation and for new services within it with a lot of very um, tech-savvy people that are in there that are really looking forward for the next thing and want to be a part of it. They want to utilize it. Um, NFT people really love to say, we are early. And in a way, they are very much right. They're saying we are early for a few years now, but um, they, they, they see themselves as kind of founders or investors within this space, and they're looking for new technologies, and they are becoming the communities of these technologies and they're really pushing these technologies forward. And whenever anyone from this space is highly invested in a project, meaning that it has a few pieces, a few NFTs of a certain project, this person many times is going to actively try and to promote this project that is now apart from. And this creates very interesting dynamics on Twitter, on Discord, where everything is going on. And one thing that is very important, while well, I was trying to analyze and criticize myself, this article that I told you about of how artificial intelligence cannot be an artist. And I do agree with that. If I could imagine artificial intelligence being something that comes from another planet, that we human has nothing to do with that. Although I think that if Van Gogh, we find out that he was an alien, <laughs> I'm pretty sure the value will go even higher <laughs> than, than what it is. But the point is, we forget that anything we input in artificial intelligence, it comes from us. And the fact that we are opening this up, not just inside a black box, right? Like artificial intelligence can be trained in a black box. We don't know what is in there. I like to think that you need transparency, especially when it's used for so many different things in society right now, and it will be even more to be a, a glass box where you can see what happened 
And even the next level is when you can be a protagonist, input those variables. And that's exactly what I see happening now in, in the NFT world. If you don't like something because it's, uh, I don't know, it turned out to be racist or it turned out to be not the right place at this particular moment for our society, well, the price is going to go down. And if it's something that is relevant, the price is going to go up, which is kind of what happened with regular art. So artificial intelligence, it's the instrument. I don't see it as the artist. So I, don't, I want to be a little polemical <laughs> to, to make, you know, maybe it's just the instrument that the artist, which we are, are using to create unique art. Um, and I, I will agree with that. And I have a few things to say about that. So I don't know if I, if I completely agree with it not being the artist. Um, of course. I was I just like, you know, yeah, it, pushing you. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I can say that, you know, it's not 100%, um, you know, the artist was, that is responsible for the artwork. And we can see that with our current project with Eponym. So, so we allowed 10,000 different artworks to be minted on the blockchain. It's 10,000 NFTs project. And it was minted by about um, 4,000 different people during the night of the lunch. By the way, the night of the lunch was completely leaked. Um, it happened during um, an, an NFL game instead of happening the night after that. But it didn't really matter because um, people immediately identified the potential of what they can do and how they can now take part in the, in the art creation process. And this is what we're seeing right now. So I think that by um, by far the most positive attention that we received as Art AI was th was from the NFT space, and this is because in the NFT space people are now taking part in the art creation process. The AI is generating pieces, but it's generating pieces based on their input. And we had kind of two different generations of eponym. The first generation was you know, simply typing in a word and seeing what happens, and the second generation allows people to type in a word and then add modifiers that could be anything. It could be, you know, the color of the picture or objects they want to see in it or a different style they want this picture to be into or just how they feel. Everything affects it differently and produces, and produces different pieces. And because they took part in the, in, in the, the um, process of creating the art and because they were so responsible, first because it costs, it, it has a cost to create, this piece and it has a cost then um, some of them had to sacrifice uh, sacrifice pieces to create other pieces uh, and becomes really emotional you become really connected to the process and because it was very clear how significant their part in the art creation is and how different art pieces are coming out of different collectors that are minting them like completely different pieces and it, it really helped everyone understand that the AI is just a part of the equation. It's just, it is a tool that is used by humans. It is trained by humans. It is inspired by humans. Now it is, you know, basically just, you know, like a digital pen that you're holding to just create what you want to create. And sometimes it takes hours until you're satisfied. The same way it can take hours to create a painting, it can take hours to create the right AI-generated artwork, AI-generated NFTs. And this really flipped things around. We don't hear any more people speaking about um, 
there may be uh, um, consequences of having AI generating art because people know that the AI, this is just a tool. They are the main players in this game. They are the artists that are actually controlling the AI to a very high level to create whatever art they want to create. So the discussion now is how to use the AI to create the most beautiful and engaging art and not really about if this is a bad thing or a good thing because the control is in the uh, is in the hands of the humans that are generating it. And you remember last time that we talked, we we talked about we look back in the history. We talk about the patrons of the art, the commissioner, the people that the rich family, the church, the the, the emperors, and whatever it was that they would commission a piece of art to to an artist, and they'll pay. You know, we I mean, know what they pay nowadays, but they pay enough money for somebody to leave at the time. And they wanted something. It's like, I'm paying you, so you give me what, what I'm envisioning. And then there were like artists that were not commissioned and they would just go freestyle, whatever they want. But some artists, like Picasso, for example, he really understood that, yeah, art is important, but you can capitalize on it. And he actually turned out to make pretty good money from 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 the art that he made in his in his lifetime. So what I'm saying here is empowering the people to create art. Maybe it doesn't make them the artist, but it sure make them the people that inspire that art. And maybe you can't afford to have the Michelangelo doing that or Leonardo da Vinci, but you can afford to have this artificial intelligence artists that still randomly, and by randomly, I mean in a very creative and unique way. Like, I mean, this is the question, for example, that may be in the head of many people. It's like, would they be repeating the same process? Could I potentially get the same piece, even if I put different input from the artificial intelligence? So no, that, that will be impossible. Um, it's possible to give different inputs and get two different images that has a similar, that are kind of similar in, in some way. Uh, and that also kind of help you like understand the part of how the AI work, what type of connection it makes, that two different phrases or two different subjects made it create something that is kind of similar. But it will always be very distinguishable, never the same thing. Mm. So there is a second phase of what you're doing and I am just getting my feet wet into the NFT world and not, it's your fault. So you take that <laughs> responsibility, but <laughs> uh, it just stick in my head, the conversation that we had. So, uh, you know, I've been researching, I've been looking and stuff. And, and I, I was seeing that, that your next phase on what you've done with the first meeting is actually now becoming a phase two where and help me to understand if I got this right, the people that have had, purchased or created, minted to pieces. Some of them created, some of them bought it. Bought the it, so that, that's valid. As long as they said they own two pieces, yeah. they could melt it, <laughs> burn it to sacrifice them. Maybe that's yeah. the right word. And, you know, like a the crazy artist that look at the painting is like, yeah, screw this. I'm going to put it on fire, just paint on top of it, right? Because it wasn't happy. Uh, so with two of these, you can make another one. And that's a tough decision. I mean, that really makes you an, 
I don't know if you take a gamble, if you are really an artist, how, how is people accepting this? Like, really? You want me to sacrifice one to make another one? T tell me about that idea. Yeah, that's a bit crazy. And it's also kind of... Um, a little bit. That, uh, <laughs> so many, that so many um, NFTs are being burnt. Um, so the, the community calls it um, a, burning, a burning event. But what we're actually doing is um, once someone is sacrificing the art, it is being sent to what is called a black hole wallet. It is um, being sent away to an address that it is just not accessible by anyone and never will be accessible. They're lost in time. People can see the art that was sent there, but no one can ever own it. And what you- Oh, see, so you can see it. You it's can kind of like it. an archive of- An archive, a graveyard, a mausoleum. It's not, not like Bansky that, that actually shredded it. Yeah. And then evolved yeah. even more. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But they can never be bought again. They can never be bought again. Okay. You can't even give them value, like because you can't get them ever. Hmm. Um, they will never be bought again. And the process that we require people to do is to sacrifice two, two of their pieces to get another run of generating a new piece of art. And this piece of art has connection to the pieces that, that they're sacrificed. So we, I mentioned earlier that the texting, the words and the different texts that you hmm. use, this is um, still something that is exclusive. So if something was used before, you can't use it again. If you burn something that have these, these texts, you can use the text again. And um, this already kind of mimics um, what, what we know about the art market that now you need to be a bit more into the project. You need to have a bit more money in order to get into the second stage. And you need to basically sacrifice um, art worth $5,000 in order to get the opportunity um, to, to get a new piece of art. And, and I call, by the way, I, I tend to call the NFT art market kind of the art market on steroids because it's so fast. Everything is so quick, like imaginable things. And we started to get, to get a piece in the beginning. People had to pay $280, something like that. Um, and it rolled, you know, it reached the thousands of dollars in a matter of days, and, and th that's where it stayed. So um, we give people the opportunity to do another minting process, another generation process, now with special modifiers, and after they had a few weeks of getting to know the AI and looking at other people's pieces and speaking um, on social media about the art and different strategies they can, they can use in order to create the best possible art, and we had several reasons for that. So we had 10,000 pieces created in a few hours. By the way, while we were doing the process, our servers fell twice because there were thousands <laughs> of people that were trying to create art in the same time. And um, it, it was you know, a, a big, very messy night. So it was a mess and people were had FOMO, that, that's fear, fear of missing out. So um, they were, were trying to mint art. In the end, they're trying to mint art as fast as possible. And some of them had typos, and some of them, you know, were um, what the community um, look at as, um, uh, let's say, inferior design, inferior aesthetics. They don't like the aesthetics, or the names were just weird because they had a lot of pressure. And this burning event that takes place for a week, it started um, on, on the 6th on, on, of November, it ends the 13th. It allows people um, to decide during this week what they want to burn, whether if it's like bad art that they have, or if it is art with a good text that they want to regenerate. 
and they can do that and create something that is completely new. And the, another big difference between the Gen 1 art, and, and again, I'm, you know, it's not only that we're speaking about NFTs right now, we're speaking about NFTs that are changing into different NFTs. Um, so that's, you know, getting quite complex, but, um, but you, can, you can get the NFT out of the equation here because basically we're, we're speaking about a technological process. So um, this Gen 2 eponyms, these, these Gen 2 NFTs have a, another utility, another ability to change over time. So um, we introduced something called Epo Stories. And that means that if you have a Gen 2 piece, if you um, sacrifice two pieces to create a new one, this new piece that you have can change. Once a month, there is something that is called the modification event, it takes three days. And during these three days, you can add a layer to your artwork, to your NFT that will show on these popular platforms. And you can kind of even create a story connecting different episodes of your Gen 2. And when you do that, you are the owner of not only the last episode that you created, you are also the owner of all of the previous episodes. You can do whatever you want with them. You can even, you know, just make physical art with it and sell it to anyone. You are the owner of this piece. And instead of now generating a single design, a single image, people are now designing a chain of images that if they decide to can even have, you know, speak with each other and have some logic behind them or just personal meaning, meaning with them. And that made people go through very, very hard decisions. And up until now, um, it's about two and a half million dollars worth of, of NFTs that were sacrificed in order to create new ones. All right. So I need to understand one thing. So when you do this story and you have the amount of time that you can change what you got to create that story. So you, you, you stop in time few frames, right? I'm trying to compare between a video and, and, a, and, a, and a frame of static images. So let's say you have three frames, what it was, maybe where it comes from, what it is, how you change it. I don't know if I'm making sense. Do you, do you then still allow the changes or at a certain point you're going to draw a line that says, no, at this point, this is what the art is? Because I'm just comparing in my head traditional art to this. Traditional art, you can't change it. You can't, I mean, try to change the color on a, on a masterpiece and see how that's going to work with, <laughs> with the market, right? Uh, yeah. That's not going to fly. So... But, but can you it ruin it? Um, so by the way, so it's not gonna fly, but it doesn't mean that you can't do that. It will just be a huge waste. Um, you know, if, if someone um, depends on how you look at it, right? But if someone buys a, a Banksy piece and then just paints over it, doing something completely new, most of us will look at it as, as a huge mess. This is such a beautiful piece, such an expensive piece, and you just, you know, you're winning it. The next person is not going to want. Um, you know, you know, you're going to want Banksy, not yourself. But then it depends. Maybe the person that is, that owns the art wants to paint over it because that's more beautiful, or that has you know a personal significance for it, and um, that, that's that's how we want it to look like. And maybe the person that is selling the Banksy art doesn't want anyone else to paint over this this art. So this person has two options: either can never sell it, or can you know 
have a very, very high price of selling it. So, you know, this high is kind of the, will be the price that is, this person is willing to, to get in order to let someone else do whatever they want with the artist. Because when it's, when it's gone, it's gone. No one promised that the new owner of the, of the art is not going to manipulate it or lose it or do something with it. So um, it is kind of similar to human-created art with a big difference probably of um, people want to develop the art pieces, like they're many times buying it in order to add an extra layer to it. And maybe this is significance is because you can always get back and see the previous art. Previous art is still there, but it is not the newest form of the art piece. It is not the latest update of the art piece. And this is kind of impossible to do when you're not doing it digitally, but it's very possible to do when you're doing it digitally. And maybe this is why people accept it, because the technology just allows it to be there and create even deeper meanings. So if I buy something that has been minted first, then burned two into one, and then modified, and I buy that, and I see the story behind it, can I then modify that new piece again? Or, or is that supposed to be always like that? I mean, yeah. is it part of the, the vision? Yeah, you can continue and modify it and you can send it to someone else that you really love or send it to an, something that you, someone you think is really creative and that this person add another chapter and you can you know, make a whole strategy of what you want the story to tell and add another episode, another chapter, another layer every time we are not stopping the creativity at any point um, and that's kind of the key thing that we did from the beginning and maybe a big not maybe this is a huge part of the success of the project is that the community we give the community tools but the community decides how everything is going to look like same way they decided how the 10,000 collection is going to look like earlier and how they decided hmm. gen looks like now but the modification that you make is that final or you can control Z? So let's say I give it, you know, I control Z and go back to what it was, like on a Photoshop. Okay, yeah, so, so what I, what I, I'm, it's really intriguing for me because I can see a completely different new form of crowdsource art, right? I mean, that, that's, that's the way I see it in a way. So can I buy it and then go back to what it was? Yeah, so so you can use text that was used before, but you cannot go back to the same design. So the, you, you, can, you can have the design itself. It shows. You can see it, but it is, not, it, is, it, it is shown and mentioned as a previous layer. It is not the current layer of the art piece, and it will never be. You can mm -hmm. use the text again to generate something new, but after something was changed, was modified, that's it. It will never go back to be the, the primary aesthetic of the piece. Wow. Okay. My, my, my brain is really going on a <laughs> creative tangent here. So I actually got something that I didn't, I didn't think about because I thought it would stop after the minting of the, the one and then the two and then that was it. Because in my head, I don't know, a masterpiece is permanent. And I need to start looking at it more of a painting from Harry Potter, where they just moved from one frame to another, and they, <laughs> and they move in there. It's kind of like a live a live shot on an iPhone, which uh, you know I, I find really cool anyway, because it's a, it's, a, it's a different way of 
creating art. Uh, okay, you kind of blew my mind again. And of course, <laughs> we are 45 minutes almost. So to close this, I hope the, the people listening kind of get inspired to learn more about this. I find what you guys are doing and the entire community of digital artists and, and what the NFT is allowing to do, uh, very exciting. I mean, I'm not going to be the one that says, no, no, art needs to be the classical because art is part of evolving. I mean, look at Andy Warhol and, and other people that have changed art into something else, so it's all connected. To end this, seems like you have a team that is very visionary <laughs> and taking risk because, let's face it, you're taking risk, but artists need to take risk and technologists too. So yeah, give me your vision for where could it go? I'm not going to keep you accountable for it, uh, although I probably want to want to have back and to, for more conversation with me. But where do you think the next step is it? Do you, do you see it? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I can see it. Um, and our way right now, it's funny because we started from the physical art world. And then we went, we went right inside the decentralized crypto art world. And our next step, even though we're going to continue and our main focus is going to remain in uh, the NFT space, we are doing putting a lot of effort uh, into showing the world how NFT art looks like and how it works and getting ourselves more into, um, you know, the popular um, basically art exhibitions and art auctions that everyone know about. And fortunately, a lot of uh, organizations around the world that were only focusing about conceptual art and, you know, physical art um, are now very open and learning about NFTs. And for us, this is the next stage, simply letting more people know about NFTs and how it works. And maybe one more thing that is important for me um, to use this stage to say, um, and something that, that I thought for, for a long time before I kind of got into the NFT space, is that it could be a bit scary and weird because you hear about um, you know 500 pixel images that are getting sold for $9 million. And it's really hard to understand the logic behind that. But this is only a part of the world and it has like a thousand different reasons on why it was sold for so much money and thousands of people, you know, with very long stories um, that kind of justifies this even, even a bit more than some of the very expensive artworks that we know from the past, just the difference that it's 500 pixels, it's weird. Um, and other than these, you know, very expensive, very low quality images that people are buying, there's a whole world and these, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that are extremely passionate about NFTs. They're usually also very smart people that know a lot about, the, about technology. And my recommendation to everyone listening is before uh, jumping to um, a very popular conclusion of NFT market is a crazy market, try to speak with an NFT enthusiast and understand why this person really likes NFTs. And I am sure that you're going to be surprised but how thorough and how detailed the answer is going to be. Yeah, be open-minded. I think that's, that's the key. And as we say goodbye, one thing as you were saying this and the vision for the future, I start visioning the next evolution of this as being in the metaverse. 
Now everybody's talking about the metaverse. So to give that virtual reality, digital creation to that. And I, I think that that's where literally the sky is the limit. Yeah, I, I really like I really like the recent events, the recent changes. And I think that the, that the guys from Meta have, uh, uh, you know, they have a lot of foresight. And I, I believe that, that we are definitely heading this way. And there are already worlds out there that are probably worth to explore. So yeah. we'll, we'll see where it goes. Ready Player One. We'll see where that goes. Mm -hmm. All right, Ben, thank you so much. Great conversation. And for everybody listening, of course, there'll be notes in the in the podcast and links to maybe Ben. If you have some interesting reads, uh, even books that you think kind of help people to get into this digital art uh, mindset or uh, learn more about NFTs, I, I'll be happy to share with that with the public. And uh, Hope to talk to you soon again. Good luck with uh, this crazy venture. Thank you so much. Looking forward to the next time. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at Nintex.com.